0: thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning everybody, Uh, happy Sunday, welcome to Teachers Talk Radio for this special show, How to Build Your Anti-Racist Classroom, hosted by Shaniqua, who is just joining us now and she's going to be joined by orlean badu uh, who is the author of this book which is published by sage education you can get a 25 percent
1: discount off the book we're going to be sharing the coupon code for that within the space and also we will share it in the description for this episode when it's published as a
0: podcast so look out for that if you listen to this you enjoy it and you want to get the book you can get a 25% discount off the book and we will share details of that during the show but also in the published details after it. I'm now going to pass over to Shaniqua. Lovely, I love that there's this great offer because actually I feel like everyone should be getting this book so I'm loving that there's a bit of an offer for them to use for them to get the book so uh, thank you and today I'm joined by Orlean, um, hopefully she can get on um and we're going to be discussing her book how to build your anti-racist classroom uh orlean hello are you there
1: i am here good morning Happy Good morning. Sunday. How are you doing this morning? <laughs> I'm all right. I've had a very busy morning. I've got kids and clubs and all sorts on a Sunday. So I've done half my day already, but I'm well. Oh my
0: God. <laughs> that is amazing. That is amazing. See, that's what happens when you have kids though. Yeah. Everyone says that. They're like up from early, yeah, just sure. getting stuff sorted. Whilst me, I'm just, you know,
1: yeah. surviving.
0: Oh, we'll <laughs> talk about surviving actually later. Yes. <laughs> but morning. morning. So today. And this morning, I'm really excited to be talking about this great book. It's called How to Build Your Anti-Racist Classroom. It mm. is written by the amazing Orlean Badu. And for those of you who don't know, I believe she's a racial literacy expert uh, with a passion for leadership. Yeah. Uh, she is now a published author, trainer, leadership and education consultant. Oh, Orlean, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Because I know there's a lot.
1: Never yes, um, so as you know, it's, 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 it's always, I find it difficult to talk about myself, but we'll, we'll, yeah. I'll do the best I can. Um, <laughs> so I have been in, I've been in education for about 23 years now. Um, mm-hmm. I have Crazy. been a teaching assistant, I've been a teacher, um, I've been a deputy head, and then I've spent about seven years as the head of a primary school. Um, Mm -hmm. And I also did a secondman um, primary head in an all three people referral unit, which was quite an experience for me. Um, Yes. And And then I, due to kind of family circumstances and wanting to have a wider reach, I then worked at a local authority for a few years. Um, Mm -hmm. trying to improve outcomes for young black boys in that particular local authority. Um, And then I just kind of decided that it was about kind of how I can really embed this work, but on a wider scale. So I began at Hackney, I did their, I I created their um, diverse curriculum resources, um, which were downloaded by, yes, they were downloaded by educators across the globe. um, And it was straight after summer 2020. So it was, it came Mm -hmm. out at the time that staff needed it. Um, And then, so I've just kind of been building on that. So I do a lot of training in schools I work with a lot of senior mm-hmm. leaders and staff I've done a huge amount of staff voice and pupil voice in schools about anti-racism and lived experiences both in school and outside um yeah and then that led to the book um that mm-hmm. we're we're talking about um and I'm still surprised to talk about the fact that I've written a book <laughs> even just for
0: isn't it amazing it's- like even like when I was saying it, I was like published author this is great and I was like, I need to start off with that, even though you've done so much. Yeah. And, you know, even when I was telling everyone, I was like, I've got Oline on my podcast. I'm so excited to talk to her about the book. Yeah. And actually, there were three people I spoke to, and they were like, I used to work with her. My head teacher actually said, You actually um, were her head at one point. Oh one my point. goodness. Yeah. So it's quite crazy. Someone else said, Oh, what? Oline? Yeah. I know her. Yeah. So it was like, I used to work in her school and her husband oh, and all of that. Yeah. I was like, wow. And that just shows me, like, you've done such great work all across everywhere, and especially in London. Like, your name is, you know, so great. So, I feel quite honoured right now to have you you on and to be able to talk about your book, which, by the way, when did it come out? When did it It come out? It came out in,
1: officially, the official date was June. Um, Mm -hmm. It came out in June the 12th. uh, And it's just, so this is a journey for me, because I'm still learning how to do this, and you know, the opportunity to kind of write a book and to talk about what I'm most passionate about um,
0: and to be, yeah. you
1: know, to be sharing that as wide as possible is a real privilege for me. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't, I'm very aware of that and trying to do my bit to kind of, you know having been a head teacher but also having been a child in our education system a long time ago yes. fair enough but you know but when I think about the challenges that I have faced as a child and that mm-hmm. children are still facing today I kind of feel like you know there's more there's work to do and that, yeah this is my opportunity to be a part of that.
0: No and it's a great opportunity and I think and we're going to go through some of uh, the things you mentioned in the book and some of the chapters, but also, unlike everyone, I'm not going to say too much. We're not going to say too much because yeah. you need to read it. But there are some amazing things you throw out and things that I, I believe like, people keep quiet about, yeah. you know, and you discuss that. And actually, it's so important that we have these conversations and we talk mm. about it. And actually, I took this book on holiday. I started oh, reading it when I was on holiday, yeah. in the sunshine, in Lisbon. Yeah. And it was great that I, I was constantly reading it, highlighting pages, like, oh, my God, mm. I can relate or... This is yeah. giving me something to reflect and think about. And um, this week I was going through it again. And I've, I have my MPQ assignment on leading behaviour culture. Mm-hmm. And literally, I was like, I need to reference some of Orlean. Like, mm. it's one of those books, everyone, that I really just recommend that I think... It's, got, it's a bit like a, you know, in a non-blast, blasphemous mm. way. Mm. Um, yes. An education bible. It's actually up there, mm. I would say. Um, oh, you know, and it's got all the bits that I think a lot of educators and a lot of people shy away from. Mm. So, if we actually if
1: we are you know how would you explain your book actually? That's a really good question Um, and (laughs) (laughs) I think what I tried to do was as I said having I've been ahead I've been a teacher Mm -hmm. I've I now go into schools all across the UK actually and and there's a couple of schools like international schools globally that are like we we want to speak to you as well but so actually I've had the I've had the privilege of talking to so many school leaders, so many. And when I say school leaders, um, I I believe Mm -hmm. every teacher is a school leader because of our position. Thank you. Yes, because of our position in our community, our skill and our ability to affect history, which I'm happy to talk about a bit more later. But having all of this knowledge and all of this feedback, um, it was really clear to me that actually I meet so many um, teacher leaders who are so keen to do the work of anti-racism but but actually you know it's about making it visible so where do I start how do I start um mm-hmm. you know, if I have come into teaching as a vocation which many of us have if we've come into teaching to make a difference it can be really hard to see where anti-racism may where racism may exist in our classrooms or in our hallways or in yeah. our playgrounds so actually this book was a way to kind of make that as visible as possible to really empower um teacher leaders to be able to dismantle it um because it's really hard to dismantle it if you if you if you're not aware of where it presents or how it presents so it right. was really just about making it visible um so that we could do the work and uh, do you know what? when you
0: read through the book you it really does have you reflecting and thinking oh have I thought about this? We talk about, you know, unconscious challenging, yeah. unconscious bias. And we start going to, you know, what is an ally? Yeah. And non-racist versus anti-racist um, teachers. Mm. And actually just having having a real think. And actually, even when you spoke about allies, yeah. and actually some people say they're an ally, but actually, are you an ally? And just having that chance to just think. Yeah. Uh, I think that's great. So actually, mm-hmm. <laughs> if I mention it, your book couldn't have come out or, you know, being talked about especially at such a, a better time because yeah. I feel like we look at what's going on in the world and especially what's going on in the UK at the moment mm. with the government and uh, you know it gets me a bit frustrated when we talk about systematically racist yeah uh, where the government will tell you yeah, yeah. that you no know, there's no systematic racism mm. and then you look on the news you read stuff and actually I think you begin to talk about it but we live in a country that politically Mm. wants us to believe that we should not reflect on the systematic challenges it's
1: like no 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 Mm. and I think that's great because I think that's how you started your book yes I mean I think it I think it's it's worth um we need to know where we are and we need to know the context so you know I (laughs) am very aware of kind of kind of power structures that may create that cognitive dissonance so um it doesn't it doesn't you know it's the country's not racist as per um, the government's last race report that was led by Dr Tony Sewell and actually mm-hmm. the challenges of that because for you know that was really negating the experiences of many many people that live um, and, and reside in the UK so actually having a report mm. that tells me that racism doesn't exist um, apart from yeah. uh, on what was formerly known as Twitter I find really challenging. Yep. So, yeah, know, and, and, and there are reasons for that. There are lots of reasons for that which I probably won't spend too long going on to now because if I get on the political uh, <laughs> road that would be quite difficult yeah. to come back off of. But actually I think it's... Oh, and then I'll get started yes. and then we're both on a little exactly. a tangent. So don't worry.
0: <laughs> but I feel you. I, I, I totally feel mm. you and I think But that's a really important place to start with everything that goes on. And, you know, not to get too political, but even if we looked at the news last week where someone talks about, you know, multiculturalism Mm. is failing us and all of that. And I just thought, wow, how does that make me feel? How does it make, you know, children listening to that feel like, whoa,
1: whoa, so... (laughs)
0: going through that sorry no it's
1: all right I was just gonna say and I think it's being aware of why those messages are being shared and being you know so Mm -hmm. I think one of the things for us is to decide um you know are we going to be um a leader that disrupts inequality or are we going to be a leader that by being passive or actively Mm -hmm. are we going to uphold it so when I hear when I hear all these narratives I'm very aware of kind of uh, the, the trying to uphold those narratives and actually our work and the work of many of us that want to be anti racist in education is how we disrupt those inequalities and not to be swayed by that, yeah. um, yes. and, and to stay true to our, our purpose and our core. So, the book, as, as well, mm-hmm. is another way of you know, it is a response to race reports that say racism doesn't exist, it is a response to those people that say actually there are no inequalities, um, mm-hmm. and it's got the data and it's got the research behind it, but more importantly, it's got all those lived experiences of children and, and staff that I've been lucky enough to work with.
0: And I really appreciate you sharing, you know, their stories and sharing experiences, mm. because actually, you know, there's some people who will read this and they'll be like, in shock, they'll yeah. be like, whoa, I didn't realise, and actually it's just so important to be able to share that, and yeah. you also start off with Summer 2020, yeah. uh, which... It, mm. I I remember summer 2020 mm. quite well. And I remember all of a sudden in schools, yeah. uh, you know, conversations were starting to be had. But actually, mm. I, I used to think, is this just for this moment in time? Yeah. And sorry, we talk about summer 2020? Yeah.
1: What, what what am I talking about summer 2020? Orlean, i am bring it back to okay. you. Okay. So I think um, one of the things that I think is really important to share is that mm-hmm. I... I was working in a local authority at the point at which um, we were in the midst of lockdown. Um, It had been a tragic and brutal and very public murder of George Floyd. Um, And I think the whole world being at home and looking at that, it kind of presented challenges for us all in terms of equality or inequality as it exists in our society and actually facing it and seeing it because actually being at home, we couldn't turn away from it. We couldn't, we couldn't blame the individual we couldn't you know we had to face Mm -hmm. those inequalities that were experienced and actually I really I work working in um a local authority that was very diverse it was amazing it was amazing the amount of young people and their families that were writing to local authorities and writing to schools and saying we need to do more um so actually being a part of that it was very clear that actually it wasn't just because leaders in uh, these spaces were saying that enough was enough, but actually the community collectively was right. saying enough. We need to face it. We need to challenge it. And that actually is a yes. very different motivation um, because mm-hmm. actually you're hearing from the people who are impacted most, or you're hearing from the people in the community that want to support those that are the most marginalized. And there was a there was a drive for that. So you know, it was it was it was what was the re- what could the response be to that? Are we gonna do di- are we yeah. gonna just be passive see these responses yeah. coming in and do nothing and therefore uphold what was already yeah. happening or were we gonna try and disrupt it where we going to do were we gonna respond in a way that, that we could work with the community um to challenge and to dismantle and that kind of you know I, I often whenever I do training I often talk about um working you know, pre-summer 2020, we were prob- we'd probably we mm-hmm. probably all say in schools, you know, we follow the Equalities Act, um we, yeah. we fulfil our duty, we are non-racist, and that's really and that's really actually racist. now we know that that's a really passive role um mm-hmm. because that's about seeing equality inequality and not doing anything about it. And yeah. largely, if you're not disrupting inequality, that often means you're benefiting from it in some way um Mm. but you know not that you know not facing the challenges that children face Uh, i think we're really good at looking at the challenges they face outside of school but actually it's much harder Mm -hmm. to face the challenges that they face inside um and being open and honest about that and actually this work was about actually let's moving on from that post summer 2020 how do we be Mm -hmm. anti-racist and that's an active role how do we disrupt inequality where we see it how do we have those challenging conversations and they are challenging um and they're even more challenging if you don't know kind of if you don't have the data to back it up or if you think that something's unequal but it's hard to make it visible or it's hard to verbalize what that might be so this book was really about how we move from that passive space into the active and I hope that um I hope that it kind of really kind of does that work of you know, many of the staff that I talk to saying we don't want to, we're not, we don't want to be passive, Um, and actually what are the things that we can do to actively um, be a part of the change, because, you know, teachers, educators, anybody that works in school, you know, we have the power to um, disrupt inequalities, but also to change outcomes for our young people, um, yep. and I feel like we've never really we've always there's always been activism within education there's always been those staff for whom what how can we actively um, d- do more and I, I hope that this book is a way of kind of supporting that.
0: No I I definitely think it is mm. and I think like you said it delves into those quite hard conversations but conversations we need to have and I remember reading your book but also the conversation I was having around that time Mm. when it came to white privilege. And what I loved is you go through and explain Mm. what that is. Because I think as well, with wordings, people are like, what are you trying to say? What do you mean? Uh, I don't have privilege. And actually, and I think, I'm just going to read a little... Oh, your book, you. where you talk about white yeah, privilege, yeah. and you say, white privilege does not mean that life is easy without challenge and has been handed to you on a plate. What it can mean is that you see yourself in every advert as the norm. You go to any shop anywhere in the UK and buy foods that reflect your culture. You can go to any business and expect to see a senior leader that looks like you. You can count on your skin colour not working against any evaluation of your financial reliability. Mm. You'll never be asked to speak on behalf of your entire racial group. You'll be taught a curriculum which validates the existence of your race. You can be assured that if a police officer stops you, it is not because of your race. You can easily buy books, children's toys, children's toys, posters, greeting cards or magazines that show people of your race. You can expect when seeking legal or medical help that the colour of your skin will not work against you. And when I read that, I was like, do you know what? This is a perfect way of explaining mm. what white privilege is. And I remember at the time I was having discussions with the children in my class. Yeah. And I remember a mm. member of staff was like, oh, should you be having these conversations? I was like, no, I, mm. I believe I should. And, you know, that, that, it, it got to that little part where people were like, should we be having these conversations? Should we not? And I just thought, no, it's important conversations to have. And I think, if I remember correctly at that time, um you know we were talking about black lives matter Mm. in my classroom and in the school and i think it was on news round and one of my teaching assistants at the time she was like i don't agree with this all lives matter Mm. and it was it was like and i was just like oh how did the kids feel that we've just watched news and we've had a discussion and you've just said this Mm. i was like maybe we need to have a conversation ourselves and educate each other and talk to each other because it's not what you think Mm. uh when she said to me she was like I've been through hard times. I struggle just as much as everyone else. And I was like, we need to have a conversation. Yeah. So actually, I really appreciated you putting that in the book because it's, it's really important to have. It's, yeah. it, you know, And actually, when we talk about being non-racist and anti-racist, that's important, mm. I
1: believe. And I think it's... I, 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 comp- I I'm, Thank you for that description of it because actually I think it's really... It is important. And what I would okay. say is that whenever I start any training that I do um I always start with kind of just being clear about the terminology because everybody needs to be coming from the same starting point and that was the purpose of the book as well how do we have these racially literate conversations um, Mm -hmm. as teams and actually to be racially literate is to have an understanding of how race and racism works in the UK um, not to turn away from it to understand it um, and actually if we yeah. don't have the language to support that it's a really difficult conversation so it it's really important to be clear about the language as a staff team to then be able to have those conversations which will um move the dial um so mm-hmm. I, I think it's really important so when I whenever I um Going to schools, I will always have that conversation, and I do. I do often get challenged um, about, you know, it's really important for all lives, and every yeah. every particular yeah. characteristic is important, Orlean. Um, and yes. I, 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 don't, I don't dispute that at all. I think every child in our care is of huge importance um, and value. Mm-hmm. The issue that we have is that they haven't always had the same experience of value um and having a sense of belonging and you know systemic racism that exists across our society um and therefore will be present in our schools is a huge barrier for some of our children so yes we recognize yep. that every ch- every child is important but it's about understanding that actually we've had an equalities duty for decades that hasn't mm-hmm. hadn't hasn't had enough of an impact on those children whom are marginalized because of their race um yeah so actually we're not saying nobody else matters but what we are saying is and what the research tells us is the more that we focus on the group that are most marginalized within our society the better the outcomes for all because actually if you do the best for that group by By the very mm-hmm. nature of that, what you're doing is upskilling your approach your your experience your knowledge, which will the byproduct of that is that everybody will benefit from that so it's not about mm-hmm. um it's about let's focus on the group that experiences the most disadvantaged systemic disadvantaged mind. Um, and then by doing yeah. that, it improves outcomes for all. And actually, that's that's a, that's a space that we all have to commit to um, and be prepared to. And actually, largely when we focus on race, the difficulty is not about, you know, I'm. What would i say i'd say that i've heard every reason why we shouldn't focus on race in my work with Mm -hmm. schools and other organizations as well so i'm used to hearing it's about everybody i'm used to hearing you where's the research i'm used it's all the Mm -hmm. things that you know because actually it's a difficult concept um to grapple with and that's okay it's difficult that's okay that it might bring up particular stir particular feelings that's okay that Mm. You know, it, we might find it challenging, but actually, what's not okay is experiences our children are having. So, yeah. you, we have to push ourselves through that because actually, the privilege of discomfort is very small in comparison to the lived experiences of the of some of the children that we're serving. So, actually, my mm-hmm. discomfort actually that's a privilege that so it's only discomfort we feel um mm-hmm. and i you know sometimes i i kind of think you know when people talk to me about privilege because actually it's again thinking about that political concept context but the media also will kind of sell that idea of you know if you're called privilege it means you've got a seven-bedroom house it means life is yes. easy and obviously that's not mm-hmm. the experience
0: for everybody no.
1: in the uk and nor is it the experience for everybody who is racialized as white in the uk so but that's not mm-hmm. what it's about it's about um no. I think a really good way of summing it up is that privilege is you, you know to have privilege is to live with the absence of racism, okay. and that's really important for us, yeah, uh, if you don't experience racism in the u k that is a privilege, mm-hmm. and I think it's really a really helpful um resource to kind of have a look at is maybe Peggy McIntosh's Invisible Knapsack which is about kind of assets that are in this weightless invisible knapsack which is all the things that you mentioned from the book already and I think it's Mm -hmm. really important to recognise that life is not easy, life is challenging, life is difficult but there are some for whom um, there are unearned assets just by the very nature of characteristics that you're born into and it's been, it's mm -hmm. been able to have those really adult grown-up conversations about that um, and to be able mm-hmm. to think about how we use our privilege to benefit our children. You explained
0: that beautifully. Oh, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna have to share this with everyone because it's just so well explained and I can just I can feel the passion mm-hmm. and I think that's so important and at the end of the day this is what our children need. Yeah. like reading through and you read through some of like the statistics and case studies and you're like well you know this is what our children deserve Mm. they deserve you know for us as adults to have these conversations these important difficult conversations at times Mm. but important conversations and actually leading on from that um I believe there's a conversation where you talk about challenging your unconscious bias that's one of your chapters and actually (laughs) I think go on I'm interested I know a lot of people be like I don't have any I don't have any I don't know what you're talking about and actually I love that you explained that you know accepting that we all have an an innate Mm. habit within us that means we make split second assessments about people all of the time you know that's true and it's important and we all have unconscious bias Mm. I have unconscious bias and it can't be switched off I think you you said it can't be switched off and I remember thinking yeah you're right but then you know how do we manage
1: our biases and you go through it in that chapter, which is great. Yeah, but... I think, so one of the things, I get, get two challenges on unconscious bias, I'll be honest. There is the challenge okay. of teacher, me. teacher leaders that have come into this profession for a vocation. They've come into this profession mm. because they want to directly impact on the lives of children and they're motivated to educate our children so that they can lead fulfilling lives. And actually that doesn't always sit well with, and, and your bias, people are like I, you know I came into this to help children so I can't be biased or I can't be racist or I can't do those things because that's not that, the very nature of why I came into this role was to challenge mm-hmm. that um and you know we have to break down kind of how that can still arise which I'll talk about in a bit but the other side of the coin is <laughs> the staff that say to me And I get this challenge very often, you know. um, Mm. Look, the government says that we shouldn't be doing unconscious bias. All these people say we shouldn't be talking about unconscious bias because we shouldn't give people reasons for being biased or racist. We shouldn't say, "Oh, you made a mistake. You can be forgiven because we all have this bias, so not to worry." mm. So there's always the two that I'm grappling with. So I'll answer that. I'll I'll speak to that one first because I think it's really important to recognise that talking about biases is how do we challenge them so it's not to say this is your get out of jail clause i didn't know so therefore it it can't be racist that's not the purpose of Mm -hmm. learning about our unconscious biases the purpose of learning about them is to understand how they may present and therefore to think about how we challenge them so it's not it's not uh you've got this poor you we've all got it you know it's okay but actually what it is is you now know that you have this so what are you going to yep. do to reflect and to challenge that? And that's, a, you know, where that chaining is done well, it encourages staff to recognise that actually I do have these biases, but that is not a reason to exhibit them. What it means is mm. that I may exhibit them, but how can I use reflection? How can I challenge myself to learn and to, and to, and to reduce them um, and to continually develop that learning? The other side of the coin, which is that, yes, we do all have it. Um, And it's really important that even if you came into this um, field as a vocation, even if you feel that you challenge your biases every day, it's about recognising that it's an an innate human response. We all have it. And I talk about that quite extensively in the book about where that's come from and why we do Mm -hmm. that. But actually, it's really important that you do not, you need to get, we need to get out of our own way, is what I would say. Yes. We need to recognise that we do all have it, we do all exhibit it. There will be, like, for example, I I explain in the book that, you know, it's hugely biased when you're walking down the road, you see somebody that looks unsafe, it's a hugely biased Mm -hmm. decision that would make you cross the road, because you, your biases (laughs) determine that that person looks unsafe. Now, I still do that. Even though I am the person that's going out there and trying to challenge my biases every day, I can Mm -hmm. still make those biased decisions. So actually, if somebody was to hold me to account about crossing the road, I can't I can't get upset and cry and say, I can't believe that you said I'm biased. I'm not that way. What I have to be able to do is to say, you know what, you're right. I did cross the road. And actually, now that I'm reflecting on it, it was a biased decision that made me cross that road. And actually, I'm going to try and learn from that. That's a response. Mm -hmm. That's a response that is going to push us forward in our learning. And that's a response that's going to allow us to understand where we're making mistakes and learn from them. If I do the, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm really upset. How yeah. did you? Actually, I've stopped the learning mm-hmm. at that point. I'm not doing any more learning yeah. because it's, it's an, I've taken it personally. I've been, you know, I yeah. feel like you're attacking me, and therefore yeah. that's going to stop me from doing that. It's going to stop me from learning, which means I'll probably exhibit yeah. that bias again. I'll probably repeat it. I'll probably be so kind of um, engrossed in my own feelings of how upset I was by that and how I, you know. So actually, it's really about, we're lifelong learners. And I think it's really important that anti-racism has to be a part of that lifelong learning, also. No, that's
0: that's that was that was said so greatly, and actually, I think even in your book, you have, um, and I shared the picture mm. um, of. So I think Teachers Talk Radio. I've just shared the picture, mm. and it's of the line of men, and yeah. actually just like kind of what you said and it says you will see five men mm. all dressed in traditional work attire staring out at you so if you guys can't see it it's uh, we've just tweeted out take a moment and look at them what are they wearing their facial expressions the way they wear their hair the stance they take now if one of them were the ceo of a high-performing FTSE 100 company mm. who would that be yeah and you know you go through that and uh, and also you it mentioned because i'm like oh well people want to do it do i even want to do this mm. i think you go you know i'm aware. That, you know you're going to think about this decision but who would it be mm. um, you have no idea you don't know where they live their ages where they were educated um, if they were educated but who would you choose and it's interesting because I already know who people would yeah. choose who I choose yeah and then we move on then you move on to explain there's head teachers you know mm. if I ask you a different question of that lineup who in this lineup is a head teacher mm. You know, and you mentioned recent UK data would suggest that black man would not be mentioned. Yeah. As currently, only two percent of teachers in the UK
1: are black. So even when you mentioned you're a head teacher, I was like, you
0: yeah.
1: know, amazing, yeah. amazing. And then, and, and I, I was a head teacher. It's really interesting because I, you know, um, I, I, if I think about the accountability that I experienced as a head teacher, there was a, there was a huge amount because I had to. I had to challenge biases every day to get into that role I had to challenge biases every day to be trusted to continue that role I had to mm-hmm. you know and and it's uh it's really interesting because when I do training and I show people that line up um I often get people that are just really mad at me for putting that like no we're not doing it we've been brought up not to make decisions about people based on what they look like I've been taught that you should you know You should judge somebody Mm -hmm. by the content of their character, and I'm so yes, (laughs) we should. Yes, yes, we must actively strive to do that, but we must also be aware of the fact that we will make decisions about people every single day. And actually, Mm -hmm. when you do that lineup. I think it's really important that actually the main takeaway from that is that everybody, even if you decide you're not doing it and you're going to go against whatever you think my agenda is by asking you that question, there is still some bias there that has led to that decision. You know, I know what she's trying to get at. I know what she's looking for. I'm not going to give her what mm-hmm. she wants. I'm going to go the opposite of what she... Um, I'm going to do the opposite of what she's expecting. But actually, it's about recognising that every single day we make decisions about people yes. all of the time and that it's the same with children it's the same with their families when they come and present to us we have our pre our preconceptions of what um what to expect uh yes. how to what what we can trust uh, what feels safe mm-hmm um what feels you know what feels like what presents as what a parent should present as as opposed to you know so actually it's, it's really important that if we don't know that then how are we going to do the work of dismantling inequality if we're if we're fighting on that point how are we going to yep. do the work that is necessary so actually we it, it, it we do make decisions about people every day and actually the more stressed we are the more difficult those decisions become or the more the more seeped in bias that those decisions become because when we're stressed we need to our brains we like we like to understand we like to everything needs to make sense to us so actually when we're really feeling stressed we will quickly make decisions we'll quickly categorize people to help us to feel in control of the situation um and you know a parent coming to you um I I often talk in the book about a parent kind of coming over to you in the playground, you know, and kind of the preconceptions you'll have if you think that parent's storming across the playground towards you, as opposed to the parent walking across the playground to talk to you. The preconceptions you'll have if it's a Friday afternoon and you're exhausted, you've been teaching all day, and a parent comes and asks you a challenging question, it's all the things that, it's all the biases that will, so that lineup is hopefully a way of people understanding that it's something that we all do, and it's something that we all have to challenge within ourselves and which I haven't mentioned today it's something that we have to challenge in each other.
0: Yeah yes mm. yeah we do have to challenge it in yeah. each other and,
1: and even just listen to you
0: I know it's not easy mm. at all it's not easy at all but these things need to be done and all in I'm really enjoying oh. this I just and I can see that a lot of people are listening. Yes. Uh, thank you to those who have uh, tweeted and or exed whatever we say nowadays mm. and are enjoying <laughs> Please do share the space on X or Twitter. I still call it Twitter, but (laughs) please, please do. If you are enjoying this conversation, please do share the space. Feel free to call in. If you have any Mm. questions, anything you'd like to ask Pauline or share, you know, please do. We'd love that. And what's great is that Sage uh, Publications, they have given us a discount code Mm. and the discount code is TTR25. Uh, for this book, so if you purchase directly from the SAGE website, you will get 25% off. Uh, the code has been retweeted, and it's been tweeted on the Teachers Talk um, Twitter page. Um, but it is the discount code is TTR25. Tell your friends, tell everyone, and please do call in, please share the space, because uh, I'm very much enjoying talking about this book. And can I just mention to everyone, I think what's great about this book is, you know, Orlean does explain everything she breaks it down but she doesn't overload you with Mm. too much because she breaks it down by you know giving you great informative relevant statistics there's always questions Mm. she gives you questions to think about I love the reflection pages because there's just these reflection questions where I'm like oh I could do this in my classroom what could I do who could I talk to about this and there's um acts so there's things to act on which is always so great where I'm like I want to get this started let's move on with this journey Mm -hmm. let me not just say it let's do it there's activities for you to act on um there's case studies where you see what schools have actually done what they put in place and actually there's quite a few where I'm like oh that's a great idea and I can see all they've worked together to realize there's a problem here Mm -hmm. and they're moving forward as a school um there's plans what's great is references so even at the moment I'm going for it I'm like I want to reference this because I'm always like I know people will be like who said this? Where'd you get that from? She's got the references in place, resources. There's documentaries she mentions you can watch, films you can watch, books you can read, scripts you use in the class and school. So it's honestly, I I think it's such a great book. So I do highly recommend. So please mm. um, get it off the SAGE website. Get it for, with your 25% off discount code. And uh, please do tell people to join the space. But <laughs> I'm going to go to... Well, reading up about you, Orlean, it says you're a racial literacy expert. And it's mentioned throughout your book, the
1: word racial literacy. Mm. But what is is racial literacy? So this is like my number one question. (laughs) Most people are like, yeah, Orlean's a racial literacy expert. And then they're like, so what is it, Orlean? And And I think... um, I tend to, my my the description that I think is most helpful is the one that, that was in the report by Dr. Je- Joseph Remy Salisbury and he did a report for the Running Me Trust about racism in secondary schools and that was a really powerful piece of research for me in terms of articulating the challenges um, of racism in schools, in UK schools and really making it very clear but actually in that report they talk about racial literacy as um, it's having a full understanding, and I say full, so from di- through, different, through the lenses of those most marginalized, it's having a full understanding of what race and racism looks and feels like in the UK. So it, my work essentially um, in the education space is about how do I provide that lens to what race and racism looks and feels like in the UK, how it operates, how it... Um, Mm -hmm. how it um, interlocks how it you know the presence of it across all of the work that we do because actually if you can't see it then um, or if you've not had an experience in which you've seen it it's very difficult to know how to disrupt it you can't disrupt something that you can't see or that you haven't experienced so I often see my work as you know, being that person that allows schools to see where it exists and how it exists, and to then be able to have the tools to tackle it. Is that mm. okay? No, yes. that is okay.
0: That is, I can tell you, <laughs> you've had to say that quite yeah, a few yeah, yeah. times. <laughs> but okay, and um, you mentioned this, and yeah. I'm just going to ask. I feel like I know the answer. Yes. But is is racial literacy a whole school responsibility? Oh my goodness!
1: So, <laughs> in a in a nutshell, yes. Hmm Mm it's very difficult to do this work in isolation um so I really I really toyed with um when I had I had a fabulous editor by the way I must say who um really empowered me to to do this work of writing the book um and in a way that I think without her I probably wouldn't have I wouldn't have done it um if I'm honest and I think one of the things that was really important about um my editor, Delana Spencer, who's a fabulous woman um, of colour. Shout her out! I shout know. her I'm, out! I'm yeah. shouting out Delana Spencer. She was my editor, <laughs> um, and she was absolutely mm-hmm. fantastic in breaking down barriers for me. I don't even know she knew that I I felt that they were barriers, but she definitely dismantled mm-hmm. a lot of barriers that allowed me to write this book and to overcome yeah. the challenges that present itself when writing a book um but I um you know it's 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 recognizing um it's recognizing the cogs that allowed me to do this work so I kind of feel like as a head teacher because I had lived experience um of racism both in school (laughs) and across society I therefore was in a better position to be able to you know set you know it was anti-racism was our work it was what we did in our school it was the way that we you know we had children that had very that came from very marginalized communities that were experiencing real challenges harm um and so Mm -hmm. therefore all of our work had to be anti-racist for them to be able to thrive like you know, their academic outcomes were of super important to us because we knew that was the platform that was going to make the difference. We knew that we had to do everything. We had to use every mm-hmm. resource that we had to to ensure that their outcomes allowed them to, to thrive. So in that very nature, we were, you know, a lot of the work um, that we were doing was anti-racism um, yeah. and it wasn't just being non-racist. Um, but you know I've, I've had those experiences as well myself which kind of drove dro- you know that was the motivation and I I then therefore worked with a lot of staff that had that motivation as well and I kind of feel like if you um, if you go into a space where you know I often say to schools it is your it's our responsibility to be anti-racist and that actually if staff or mm-hmm. teachers come into our schools and they're not anti-racist then they won't stay for long because they'll be like this is not the space for me and actually that's okay that's a good thing um because we want the staff that want to challenge this it is now I so my challenge when writing the book and um I'm not sure if I ever will reconcile whether I did the right thing or not but my challenge was do I write Mm -hmm. a book that is for the whole school or do I write a book for the teacher that could end up in a school that's not ready to do this work And that was really difficult to make the decision, you know, what do I do? And actually, I felt my first step was, I'm going to write this book for teachers. And if they are, so whether they are in a school that is doing the work or not, they know where to start. Mm -hmm. But actually, it's a really, this work can be backbreaking. It can be isolating. You know, if you're having conversations that people aren't comfortable about having, you can be Mm marginalised. By the very fa- the very nature of having those conversations, so it's it's it's. But also, you know, to have long lasting impact. My thing is, yeah. we want anti racism to last long beyond our tenure. Yeah, we want it to. Mm-hmm. We want mm-hmm. to start something in the school that is not going to only exist as long as we are there, but is going to last beyond our time there. Because that's the th- that's what's going to have most impact. So if we're doing it on our own, that's really really difficult um and actually if we're doing it on our own not only can it feel isolating but it's it's likely that it's not going to last beyond our time there so it's really important that we think about actually how can we as a whole school drive this work forward how can it be part of everything that we do and actually you know if you're writing a school development plan for example to have Mm anti-racism as one point on your school development plan is not going to work it has to be threaded throughout every single thing that we do and mm-hmm. therefore, what that does is it empowers teachers to feel like they can make those changes, they can have those conversations, they can, they can disrupt the, that data, they can, you know, be reflective about their practice um, in a way that is going to affect change. So I, I think it's really important um, where possible, it has to be a whole school um, movement because I believe it's a yeah. movement. But where it isn't, you, you know, one individual can create that. So I think it's really important to recognise our agency and our power to start the work. And, and, you know, who knows, having the data, having books that support that may help us to convince our school leadership that actually this is a whole school issue that we need to focus on.
0: That's, And you're right, it should be a whole school. Mm. It should be. But I also realise as well, I, um, you mentioned it quite short. You know, it's a mm. tiny bit. And you mentioned why you say it a tiny bit, but teacher training. Yeah. This is, you know, it's not really included. We don't really talk about race, racial literacy mm. and, you know, diversity.
1: Inclusion. It's not really, or it's not spoken about for a long time. Mm. Do you know what I'm talking about? Definitely, <laughs> definitely. Yes. I mean, I I was, I went through teacher training 100 years ago, obviously. <laughs> <And> <laughs> it was really... Um, it was very white it was very much about kind of you know all of the data and the research that upholds the system that we have in place um yeah it wasn't until years later that I began to engage with um books and texts that and research that really challenged like Paulo Freire, for example you know those things didn't come as a result of my teacher training so um I kind of feel like that there was a huge missed opportunity there and it's really challenging that you know, twenty odd years later, when staff are going through teacher training, it's still not as um, it's still not as present as it should be. There are still t- there are still nothing. staff that are coming out of teacher training having done little to nothing on yep. anti-racism. Um, and now, lots of people tell me, "Well, we do it on inclusion, so we do it on you know, think about all regions." But actually, yes, that, that focus on mm-hmm. anti-racism. There, there's no mandate that says it has to happen so therefore we're relying on teacher training um, t- teacher trainer providers to to want to do that work but actually that reliance means that they can if they choose to and they cannot if they choose to mm-hmm. um, and I think it's really dangerous when you live in areas where well we have you know we don't have many diverse communities so it's not it's not an issue here mm. yeah actually mm-hmm. the more mono, the more mono, monocultural your area is the, the 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 deeper the necessity to do this work for a variety of reasons and um, the main reason being that you're developing the anti-racist leaders of the future so if your children are not seeing anti-racism wherever they are they're not going to be the leaders that drive it when they're in those positions of leadership so it's 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 imperative for all of us but i one of the things i would say as well is that i you know i where where it is happening in teacher training which is fantastic Mm -hmm. i often also don't really think it's we're not hearing from the voices of those that are most marginalized so yes you know if you're being taught a module um by Mm -hmm. somebody who has lived experience they're able to make that visible for you they're they're able to help you to understand the way that that impacts um if you're being taught by a module if you're being taught a module on anti-racism by anti-racism by someone that hasn't experienced and hasn't experienced racism it's a slightly different Mm -hmm. dynamic um and that's that's okay but i do think that teacher trainer providers a should be doing this work but if they are you need to provide a range of voices on that um to make yeah. sure that your trainee teachers if they don't have exposure and access to different voices in their surroundings we're making sure that they're getting that as part of their training i hope some mm. um
0: teacher trainers are listening to this yeah, I, hope they, I hope they do end up listening yeah and Getting the book, I really hope they do. Mm. And like I said, feel free to order through Sage Publishing directly and get your 25% off discount with the code TTR25. Um, oh, do you know what? There's so much I want to discuss, Mm. I'm not gonna have enough time. There is so much that you wrote, and actually, let me go to a point where it was a bit where I know it's quite a controversial point for some people, and it's you mentioned the term behavior is communication yeah and on I don't know if you ever see on this app yes uh, a lot of people <laughs> do. have big discussions about the phrase behavior
1: is communication mm. um yeah. What do you think of it? Well, you, you mentioned that in your book. Yeah. Do you believe that communication? It, I do. And it seems to be the biggest point <laughs> of contention wherever I go. Yeah. <laughs> so I can, all the book do as well. You know what I, mean? I, like, I can
0: imagine this is the point I that's pre-
1: going to be it. I'm telling Sorry. you, I have prepared myself for all sorts of comebacks about bits in the book. This is the one bit. <laughs> oh, that's, and actually I think, um, and it's okay. Cause I think debate is really important. Um, yeah. And I think um, I'm coming from a position of having been in schools and experienced a range of behaviours that have been displayed. And actually, I do not think that any child is born with an inherent need to just disrupt for no reason at all other than I feel like it or I need attention or um, I'm going to disrupt my... Te-. Like, I, I do believe that even if a child is... Um, whatever their reason for the behavior that they're exhibiting it's communicating something yeah so Mm -hmm. it's not Mm -hmm. even if you think um they're just misbehaving it's communicating to you that they're they're misbehave that they want to misbehave um I don't necessarily believe that um children just want to misbehave I often believe that they are communicating something and whether they're Mm -hmm able to verbalize what that is or not I don't know if we always give them the space to verbalize what they may be experiencing um or yeah. um or they don't feel safe enough to verbalize what they're experiencing but I do believe that it is communicating and in the book I talk about the fact that it is communicating an unmet need which again is like yeah. is like it's like a match <laughs> like do you know what I mean. They're communicating an yes. unmet need and then I get a big response again. And that's okay because, as I said, you know, it's about debate. Mm-hmm. It's about understanding. But I can only speak on my experiences um, yeah. as a teacher and yeah. a head teacher. I can't speak for every teacher and head teacher, yeah. But my experience is that when a child is exhibiting behaviours, challenging behaviours, should I say, because mm-hmm. they exhibit behaviours all day long. Sometimes we, yeah. we don't mind them because that's a compliant behaviour. It's when it's a challenging behaviour that it becomes a problem. But actually, there is uh, every child, I used to take a really, as a teacher, I was the one that would always get caught up in the conversations with children about, you know, restorative conversations. I was known for it. I was known for it in my leadership Mm -hmm. as well. I was the one that would always come back and reflect for the children and understand what's going on and unpick why that happened or how it happened. And there was never a conversation where we couldn't unpick that actually there was a need that wasn't that they needed answering and it came through in their behavior and that didn't that didn't mean that i would say to the children well that's okay then because you had an unmet need. yes what it meant was yeah. now that we were able to unpick and understand what the need was we were able to then find a response that would have been appropriate we're able to talk about a response mm-hmm. and actually some children have the privilege of having that experience all the time there are some children for whom they make exhibit an, a challenging behavior um and their and their teachers may well take that restorative approach, may well say, oh gosh, that's not like them, may well try to find mm-hmm. ways of supporting them, may well go and speak to their DSL or, you know, go and speak to their team and say, I need some help, this child, you know, is really dysregulated, this is not what we're used to, but it's by the mm-hmm. same token, it's recognising there are some children for whom when exhibiting those same behaviours, we hear things like they chose to misbehave, um, You know, they're, yeah. they're, they're kicking off as opposed to they're dysregulated and then they get pushed down a behaviour route, a risk based approach, yeah. as was talked about in the Child Q report. Um, yes. And actually, so, you know, there are children having different experiences about their behaviours and the support mm-hmm. that they get as a result of it. Um, And I think it's really important for us as educators to be really clear about what responses are all of our children getting. And it's not difficult to do that because all you have to do is go back and reflect on your behaviour data. All you have to do Mm -hmm. is go back and reflect on the, you know, if you've had to log a behaviour incident, the way it's been logged, the language that's been used. Um, Yeah the way the child has been viewed you know using words like dysregulated versus kicking off using words like um i was really concerned versus this child chose to do this using words like i'm going to sit down and speak to the parents so we can come to a solution together versus i'm telling that parent that their child's going to be removed from the classroom it's you know how do we reflect on those decisions that we're making and reflection Mm -hmm. is really an important part of the whole of this book so That's you know all the research says if you're going to disrupt racism if you're going to disrupt bias you have to be able to reflect on your actions and that reflective practice Mm -hmm. is going to be a really important part of all of this work.
0: Yeah, and actually, it can be hard though. It can be hard to reflect, but I think you have to be honest with yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it. You, what's great is like in every chapter, all the time there's reflections. Mm -hmm. You've put the questions in place, and actually, you know, I remember sitting there and I'm like, okay. Reflected on this, how do I plan this? I think when it came to this chapter, you just spoke about behaviour being communication. Mm. Oh, behaviour is communication. Why are, you you wrote? Why is this child displaying challenging behaviour in or behaviours in my class? Mm. And you know it was you know I sat there and thought, okay, why why? And even just now we use the terminology dysregulated. Mm. So I worked in a pre last year right. in a primary crew. and actually i realized the wording we had to change a lot of the wording that was used mm. that used a lot of mainstream it was very different yeah. it was using regulated and you know using our zones mm. and you know you're allowed to be angry that's okay and mm. you know it's very different and actually sometimes you'd see some of their mainstream teachers come in and you could see because they'd come and visit yeah. and uh, you could see how different the relationships were and just how different they were spoken mm. to and um I just found that quite interesting. And, you know, talking of working in Prud, yes, you obviously worked in a pru, mm. And, um, well, you were a teacher in a pru, mm. And I think for me, the reason why I wanted to work in a pru, even though mm. I needed a year, here, but working in that, I just, you know, our data shows that you get a lot of black boys mm. who end up in Prudes. Mm. And actually, I know a lot of people who are against it. They were like, no more exclusions. Mm. We don't, you know, none of that. They were all against Prudes. And I just said, there are still proves. Regardless, there are proofs Yeah. So actually, I want to go in there and try my best, and mm. you know, try and find out what's going on, what, why, what's happening with our children when they do go into these proves. Mm. Um, how can we push academically these children so they get what everyone else is getting? Mm. Where and actually, I just found it quite interesting. I noticed that you have a section on ex- a section on exclusions when mm. we talk about proves and young black boys and dual heritage, yeah. white Caribbean yeah. boys. I think you mentioned they were overrepresented in exclusion um, and a school to prison pipeline. Uh, don't
1: know if you want to say anything about exclusions or any of that. Oh, my goodness. I mean, this is, uh, <laughs> we've only got five minutes left. I'm very <laughs> aware of that. And I, could, I could probably talk a whole hour about exclusions if I'm honest. I, going into the people referral unit was a real... Um, it was, an, it was another education for me. I'd done my teacher training. I'd been in mainstream. I'd done my headship in mainstream. And then I went into people referral unit and I almost felt like I'd, I had to start again. Um, I'm learning a lot of the stuff that I had learned previously. Um, I was overwhelmed by the number of children that were in these people referral units that had no... Um, they had been told that they were going to be there for a short amount of time. Um, you know, you're just going to go there to have mm-hmm. a bit of respite, a bit of reprieve. And then suddenly yes. they weren't ever allowed back again. And that's that's quite challenging to confront. And it's quite harmful and um, it's very difficult. But actually what I, um, I learned a huge amount there. So I, I definitely um, am concerned about the number of exclusions that we have. Um, and the fact that it keeps rising i think you know that little bit of reprieve that we had during covid where we were like oh what's happening and then actually post covid it's 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 spiked and it's gone right back up again and having worked in a pru it's really um clear to me that there are things that we could be doing in mainstream to challenge that so you know the idea of um early identification is really important um so you yes. know i work with a lot of children in proves that came with no no identified needs no ehcp like nothing they came with nothing and yeah. we were told it was just yeah. behavior and then within yeah Four to six weeks, we re- we, were, we had identified the need and got them the support that they needed. And you just think, if that had been done really early on, if somebody had mm-hmm. seen that their behaviour was communicating something, then it is the mm-hmm. likely they wouldn't have ended up in the people referral unit. And that's quite... That's quite challenging for us to confront, but it, it's very clear yeah. when you as you will have seen in the people report, it's very clear that when you get there, that, that, that there is an issue about children who are um, black or racialized yes. as black or dual heritage, white and yes. black Caribbean, particularly boys. Not having mm-hmm. the early help that would probably make the difference. Um, no. And I think there's been a huge explosion at the moment in terms of schools struggling with FD&D. So actually, my concern is how do we get that early help in so that because actually, if we don't, what's going to happen is the numbers are going to rapidly increase and spike um, because. You know if we're not identifying what those needs are and there are so many more children that are having those needs it's obviously going to have a knock-on effect on the exclusion so i i really worry mm-hmm. about that that's one of the things that i do sit and worry about quite a lot how do we disrupt that and i've been on lots of exclusion panels i've i've you know i've worked with lots of it's... parents i've worked with lots of children that have been excluded and unfortunately the yeah. stories are very similar the experiences are very similar so if the stories are all the same if the experiences are all the Mm -hmm. same how how is it that we're not disrupting how is it that we're not disrupting it and actually the book is i think for me if you follow the examples the reading the um the the kind of the questions that the book is asking you to consider reflect on this should disrupt exclusions because you're having all of those conversations that mean we are seeing the child we are understanding where those unmet needs might be, and we're, we're using our agency to find the support that's necessary and we're also getting out of the way um, I've said that already yeah. today and I think that's really important no. yeah. um, how we get out of the way and find the support that these young children need so my hope is that if we utilize the book in the way um, that I have intended and actually in the a, in a way that a lot of the a lot of the A lot of people have said to me that it's having the impact it is. It should be a way of another way of kind of having those reflections and allowing us to really identify the support that our children need early enough um, and getting them the right support that they are deserving of and the right support that some children do get um, to allow them to to allow us to disrupt that. And I really I really hope people do
0: use Um... it for all of that. I really do hope they do. Um, Oli, yeah, can I ask, do you have 15 minutes? Do you have 15 minutes if you don't? Have time? I do, I do,
1: definitely. Okay, definitely.
0: lovely because I can see that someone's asked you a question. Okay, and uh, well, I don't know if you can see it, but Paul, hello, Paul, thank you for listening. Mm-hmm. He said, Morning, my primary school has many EAL children who are vast majority white. We have welcomed a Ghanaian and Nigerian family into school who are wonderful. The boy in my class is integrated really well, but I know a couple of boys act
1: differently towards any tips. Oh dear um, that's a to- that's a that's a that's a big question that I often get asked as well um, okay. and I think one of the things that I think is really important is that and Paul uh, Paul I think this is for everyone um, who works in education. I think sometimes we see things so there are probably many many teachers that see what you're articulating Paul um but you know we're very busy we've got lots to do um they, they're integrating well so you know we're just going to keep going um and ultimately we don't always um do anything about those those small scenarios that we recognize or see and actually it's really important that we do see them as you have and it's really important that we think okay what can my response be to that so for myself um I As I said, having those restorative conversations was really important as part of my practice. So um, if I see it, how can we have a conversation to explore that further? And the conversation might start with the whole class, first of all. Because actually, I'm trying to create allies in my class. Um, what would I say? Not allies. Co-conspirators is a, a term that Shereen Daniels uses, who I listened to her recently. But I'm trying to create co-conspirators in my class who will see where that exists also. So actually, we're giving the children the agency to understand um, where they see children who might be being treated slightly differently and what they can do to support, what they can do to help. So I think that's really important, that mm-hmm. whole class discussion. Um, I often used to use texts or stories that I thought were quite relevant to that for children to be able to visualise um, and think about, you know, what would you do? What would your response be if you were the teacher? How would you challenge that? But I also think it's important to have those conversations um with the children and bring them together to find ways, you know, making them work together, making them um, get to know one another, because actually, you know, by working together, by having to support one another in an activity, that's the thing that's going to challenge the biases that may be in effect. So, You know, the more that they get to know this child that's new to your class, the more that they will recognise the things that they have similarities on rather than the differences. And unfortunately, we live in a political context where we see differences everywhere. So actually, how do we allow the children to recognise those connections um, of where we are similar? Um I I often one of the things that I recommend in the book is doing a getting like a you could call it a getting to know me activity where the children have to talk about their background, their heritage, the things that are important to them, anything that kind of reflects and who they are and we we often used to do that as a whole school um because actually what happens is by sharing one another's cultural heritage and background again we're reducing bias and racism in our children so activities like that would really allow the children to see the benefits of one another um but i think it's about i think paul probably has done half the work already because he's he's being honest and saying i see it so not turning away mm-hmm. paul's not going i'm too busy paul's not going um it's just kids stuff they'll they'll work it out but paul's actually saying actually i see that there is an issue and that's half of the problem um it's it's us for staff being able to be open and honest and have the time to say yes i see that that exists um, and then i think the next step is how we educate the whole class um and how we educate staff as well because if paul's seeing it then it's like the other staff are seeing it and not responding so how we as a staff team make a decision that we're going to respond to that in a way that means that the children are um encouraged to see the benefits of one another and also your curriculum so i could talk about this for another hour as well but i won't because we've only got to, we've already got <laughs> 15 minutes but actually the power of the curriculum in educating our children about why they should be why about the importance of all of us Um, and the importance of um, everything that we do in terms of uh, you know we've all kind of contributed to the UK and the children need to understand that and see the power of all of us and actually the curriculum will be a really powerful way um, of addressing that as well because if the children are continually seeing a a decolonised or a diversified curriculum they are continually seeing the power of the collective and why they are all important I hope that's a helpful answer
0: uh-huh. It was really informative. So let us know, Paul. Yeah. Let us know. See. Thank you so much. Thank you. And actually another question popped okay. up just after that. And we've got from sorry if I've said this wrongly, so or the wrong way. So Robbo, but please feel mm-hmm. free to correct me. Um and she says, Auleen, there are some people who find the term anti racist an issue and wish to dilute it. Mm-hmm. What do you say to staff who have an issue with the term anti racist training? So
1: this is another interesting question because I often find it's not the It's not the staff who have an issue with that. It's often the leadership um, Mm -hmm. who have an issue with the term anti-racist. But where that does exist, I think it's it's right that we are aware of that. And um, you need to know what the battle is or what the challenges are that you're coming up against. And actually, for some staff, anti-racist can feel like a divisive term. Um, For me, I can't, you know, to have a conversation with someone and say, um, if somebody says, "Mm, I'm struggling with that term anti-racist, you know, it's almost like a, it's almost like a how you reframe that question. So I'm struggling to talk about anti-racism, you know, for example, maybe it should be about inclusion, maybe it should be about diversity, maybe it should be, but actually um, being inclusive does not mean that you're diverse and being diverse does not mean that you're inclusive. And actually what we're asking for is an active dismantling of racism. So it's not about, um, I have a problem, why do you have a problem with using the term anti-racism? But it's about um, recognising there are many for whom they are experiencing racism in our schools and in our settings. So are you therefore saying that we don't want to challenge that for those children, Um, you know, and are you therefore saying that it's not a problem so one of the things that I'm quite keen on is um, let's talk about your experiences growing up in the UK, because that will probably highlight yeah. why you have an issue. You know, so I I, I find it really challenging <laughs> when people say to me, I, I'm, you know, I think, you know, I don't think it's anti-racism. Only, and I don't think it. But actually, that's not their lived experience. They haven't lived with racism. Um, and mm-hmm. actually, it's really important that you speak to those who have um and you speak to those mm-hmm. who have experienced it and continue to experience it both in and outside of the school but i think it's really important that again you know i don't want to talk about anti-racism is a bit like saying i don't want to focus on race we've had that conversation already this morning that, that you know it, the refusal to you know we need to we need to focus on all the other characteristics we need to focus on all the other things mm-hmm. you know what about um You know what about this group and that group and what about this that needs doing and that strategy that would be of importance? And actually, I think if we have a problem with the terminology, I feel like it it could possibly indicate we're not ready to do the work. Because if we're arguing over the terminology, then actually my question is, Mm -hmm. are you actually doing anti-racism in your space then? You can't be if you're arguing with me about what we call it. Um, So if we're committed to doing this work, then the terminology should be the easy part of the discussion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and, uh, lots of
0: reflection there, mm-hmm. lots of reflection, and then that school Have to think: Are they ready? Yeah. And, but the thing is, our kids are ready. Our kids yeah. need it, so it's it's quite frustrating. It's quite frustrating. And I just wanted to highlight because, guys, I really do recommend this book. I recommend it to every school. If if or if I could buy your book and give it to every school, I would. Mm-hmm. Um, and. I think there's a chapter and it's my favourite chapter and it's a really important yeah. chapter and it's chapter nine, it's called Parents as Partners mm. and I, I felt like I highlighted like everything in that chapter yeah. because you know, you speak about what is considered hard to reach parents yes. I think um, there's a section where you say to know how inclusive we truly are we must also hear the voice of those parents who do not have the same power to amplify their voice mm. as, and you mentioned the people who do amplify their voices and I think you also said, um, a way to measure how inclusive your school is would be to collect data at the point of which parents intersect with school engagement mm. roles. A perfect place to start is your PTA. You know, yeah, yeah and that made me think of the PTAs mm. and what did they look like? Mm. You know, an inc- inclusive school would have worked hard to engage all parents. And actually, I'm thinking, a lot of the schools I've been in, mm. PTAs are not very inclusive, actually. No. Um, and actually, then it made me think of, like, they used to go and talk about the governors. Look at the mm. governors. Look at everything. And actually, you know, I decided last year I wanted to become a governor. Mm. Um, and everyone was like, why are you becoming a governor? You're already, a, you, you have your own mm. school. And I was like, you know, I'm in Tottenham and I was just like, there's no governor. There's no young, considered young governor and there's no black yeah. governor. Like we need these things. around, Especially when the school is majority, there's majority yeah. black children in the school. Um, I just feel like, Uh, by you mentioning Mm. these things i just think it was so important and for anyone who does get the book i'd recommend because also there is sorry i'm finding it now there is a page where you talk about the practices you use to engage with parents and what does that engagement look like so for example you mentioned newsletters um but you said have you considered that parents of english as a second language Mm. you mentioned letters and emails home about activities and engagement Mm -hmm. but as above have you considered English as a second mm. language but also do you recognize that these tend to be very basic way of engaging mm. that do not communicate positive relationships for some parents mm. you know coffee mornings mm. but are you taking into consideration that not all parents can attend yeah. you know many parents work on Friday mm. mornings so I I just sorry is there anything you want to say when it comes to that chapter yeah. there there's so much I know So uh,
1: it's really interesting because I can obviously speak from the point of um being in leadership in my school um and the things that we might have done to challenge that but I think it's also really important to recognize that even at my big big age <laughs> having been in school <laughs> in my child's own school um they had a position that came up for parent governor and mm-hmm. I went for the role of parent governor. And you probably won't be surprised to realise I didn't get it. Um, and actually, the parent, the parents that did get it, were very. Um, you know, there was a lot of there was a lot of challenges. So I kind of spoke to the parents about kind of all the things that I've done in education, what I'd really worked with the school to do. I felt like I gave a really good application, and obviously, obviously, I would think that. But mm-hmm. I know all of the things that are necessary for a governing body or to help a school to kind of thrive. Um, but actually, what I hadn't accounted for was the bias of the parent population, and it mm-hmm. took me right back to being that experience to to go through that and to, you know, having the whole having to talk to parents about going for the, the governing role, and you know, I'd go to parents, I'd be like, I'm coming, I'm running for governor. No, no, not interested. And then I'd see other people that were running from parent governor that they'd stand and talk to for ages or they'd engage in a conversation. And yet they wouldn't with myself. So it took me right back to these are the challenges that parents are facing. So lots of people say to me, you know, yep. diversify your governing board. But actually, if you're only going to do it through the parent governor role, then it's likely that it's not going to happen because your school community have their own biases that they're dealing with. Um, And they will they will Mm -hmm. vote for the parents that they trust because of characteristics that they were born into, not because of characteristics Mm -hmm. that they've earned. So it was really that took me right back um, and reminded me again. I have daily reminders of the fact that I'm black, if I'm honest. And that was one of those reminders that don't forget who you are and don't forget where you are. So then I luckily I worked in a school where the head teacher found an alternative way for me to be a governor, so I became a co-optive governor. Um, because yes, she was determined yeah. she really wanted me on the governing board and was horrified when I wasn't voted in by the parents but actually I'm mad, but, That's not- absolutely yeah. but we had to have that conversation I explained to her the yeah. challenges that I you know and that I would never do it again because I'm not putting myself up for that so I recognize why so many mm-hmm. black parents or dual heritage parents yeah. don't put themselves up for that because they're just like the pain of having to go through canvassing and all that nonsense only to know you're not going to be voted yeah. in or to the, the, the pain of having to go through that and the challenge, sometimes it's not worth it. So, actually, as schools, we have to think about different ways of engaging our community so you know when we're thinking about being a governor it's not just the route of parent governor what are the other routes that we've got what are the Mm -hmm. other routes that we could advertise to our community when we're thinking about building our pta you know can we say to the pta actually we we really want you to we really want it to be diverse we really want this percentage of our parents because they make up this percentage of our school community so therefore that should be the percentage reflected on the pta do we you know do we want to have conversations about I'm thinking about the staff that we engage in and what we can do to make it as diverse. But I think one of the things is that we've just come to that non-racist position of, well, that's just the way it is. And actually, if a school is being really anti-racist, we need to know that's not just the way it is. Actually, what can we do in our systems and processes to really drive that change? And there are things that we can do, and it does take time to think about that creatively. Mm -hmm. But actually, have we got staff members parents that could help us in thinking about how we could disrupt that that's that is it that is
0: it and I I really do hope people are listening to this and I really do hope they go on to purchase the book because honestly Orlean thank you for giving up your time today to talk about your amazing book thank you to everyone who's been listening and Orlean I just thought I'd end because I read some of the reviews Mm. and I'm sure you've seen them but they're such great reviews and I'm just going to read you know a few where someone said wow Mm. this has to be the best book i've ever read as a parent about racism education in the Mm. uk it's real authentic and relatable you had someone else saying all parents must have so that's great as well just wow a book that will better equip and prepare us for challenging moments at school that our children can face when we're Mm. not there um you had someone else saying if there's one book buy this one and this person said i've worked in education for 20 years and it was the first book I've read that reflects today's classroom and education for our children I've taken away so many key points and reflections from the book not only will this help to improve practice within the classroom it also translates to being a foster parent or just a parent in general so Orlean it is such a great book and I'm I'm, honestly I'm a big advocate for it now and Honestly, I hope people have been listening. And please do share this space that we had. It will be, it will, I believe it's been recorded. Um, it will be on the same link. So feel free to share. People can listen back. But also Teachers Talk Radio will make it available as a podcast in the coming days. So you should be able to listen to it on, you know, Spotify, Ooh. Apple Music, all of that. So um, you will have all of that. And please, like we said, there's a discount code TTR25 for this book. Um, if purchased directly from the Sage website, you get twenty five percent off. Mm. But Alline, just thank you. Time's yeah, by. Yeah, it really has. Huh? Time has flown by. <laughs> <laughs> you know. You... But honestly, I'm very grateful oh, to have yeah. you. So thank. Can you Can I also
1: say as well? Somebody said on the, they said great oh, host, sorry. um, and you were you were oh. fantastic. It was really easy to talk to you this morning. Um, and I feel oh. I feel re-energized really talking to you because I'm like, we're out there. We are doing the work. And yeah, yeah. thank you so much for this opportunity.
0: No. It was great to talk to you, too. Oh, thank you.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, thank you. And I look forward to following everything you're doing. And honestly, like I said, my head teacher said that you are her head teacher oh. or, you know, you were working alongside her. So that's amazing. So and she was just like, wow, like, Orlean does amazing things. You've got a library. And she was like, put your book in it. So just, yeah, you're, just thank you for thank everything. You. And afterwards, please yeah.
1: email me who she was, because I'm really keen to know. Yeah. <laughs> I will do I will do and thanks everyone
0: no problem and thank you to everyone who's been listening please follow Teachers Talk Radio and continue to um, listen to our shows everyone have a great Sunday and relax and enjoy Thanks.
1: you've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org